welcome back. Episode number 84 of the New York Pages podcast, a partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside my host, Luca. Brett will not be around today. We have on guest Hockey Stat Minor to break down the Rangers' salary cap, UFAs, RFAs, Goodrow, and more. But first, just want to let you all know to go to InsideTheRink.com slash ESPN to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch games and more. And yeah, let's get to it. And we are back with Mika, also known as Hockey Stat Minor. Mika, how's it going? First off, I just want to say thank you for jumping on. Uh, I'm not on Twitter a lot, but I, I I do have to say I'm dyslexic. So when people break down the cap and just like put everything out there, it does help uh, me and all the jabronis out there that are dyslexic. Uh, so just just thank you from the jabronis out there, me included. No problem. I'm a huge math nerd and I'm a huge Rangers fan. So it's just. Thank God uh, social media exists, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it does help break down, especially with cap stuff too. Like that, that it really truly does help uh, kind of break things down. And otherwise, like you're just sitting at a, at a computer kind of staring at things for, you know, an un, unreasonable amount of time. And I'm sure you do it, uh, but it's enjoyable for you. Uh, to yeah, you, you know, it's it's funny. It's it, the, it's so complicated that even like a nerd like me will like not know things or forget things or get things wrong. And I've been doing this a long time. So it's like, yeah, if you're not into math, like the salary cap is just this voodoo doll that is just uh, existing and you just have to (laughs) play around with it enough, but it's, you know, it's a funny thing. That week where the Rangers trade for Kane was. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that was a whole, that was like, honestly, like as you know, in the movies when like they like land a plane and they have like nothing left, like no fuel, they don't have wheels, nothing. They they land it like that's. Long story short, math aside, that's kind of what happened there, and it was just a whole. I couldn't even explain it to you now if I wanted to. It was just absolutely testing every fiber of the salary cap, that whole thing. So. It felt like a yeah. movie that finished around like the like hour and like. 45 minute mark but was a two hour and 30 minute movie you know it's like <laughs> we all knew really good gonna, we all knew how it was gonna end but like it just kept going and then like miller got suspended just to like kind of put the plot forward another 20 minutes like oh my god <laughs> it was not a top that. four what funny. was it fox and lingren was also injured so it was yeah that was a mess yeah it was a catastrophe and it was all, and like even you know, I'm not going to dunk on people for not knowing the cap because it's like super nerdy. But it's like even the broadcasters, like who you think would like get like the top notes, were like kind of offering explanations that just didn't have anything to do with it. You know, it was just it was such a I've ne- like I've never seen a team at at this point like stretch the limits as much as they did. And you know, so it. There was a whole explanation, like, as far as why they did it and how they did it, but it was just, it was ridiculous. I mean, objectively, it was ridiculous. It seemed like, though, that, see, you don't know because you're not there in the office, but it seemed like they didn't realize, I'm trying to remember if it was, an emer- they tried an emergency call-up, and it didn't work because they intentionally created that scenario. I, as I remember it, it was they. There was Schneider and Carpenter on the bench, but they weren't playing. 
And there was kind of this explanation at the time where it's like, if they log any time, it counts as a game and that, you know, changes the salary cap. In reality, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if who plays what minutes, that dollar figure of whoever's on your bench is figured. The whole thing was you wouldn't dare risk any of them getting hurt because you can't put a hurt player on IR or you can't put a hurt player in the minors and they needed to put players in the minors after that game was over to like fit Kane that day. So it was this whole like, like just absolutely no buffer, just a ridiculous uh, way to get just under the cap enough to add the salary they did. That was fun. Um, <laughs> that, was really, that was just, chaotic. and they won the game against the Kings, which is like crazy. Like they played with, I, that was when Keandre got suspended, right? Against the Kings. Yeah, that it was, was four like, defensemen. I think they played. That was so nuts. It was like, yeah. I don't know. It, just a, it was a crazy season. Let's put it see that way. So first question off the bat, a math question. Why is it that a Goodrow buyout would not only save them money, but add additional cap space short term? Yeah. So this is kind of like a two pronged question. Um, Number one, buyouts always have to do with the structure of the contract. So if a player like Goodrow, his cap hit is like, what, $3.9 million a year or something. But over six years, he gets different amounts of money. So if, they, if the Rangers were to buy out Goodrow, they would actually like not only clear his entire cap hit, but I think it's like 100000 or 200000 They they would get even more. Um, but on the flip side, he signed a six-year deal this is going to be year three as of July 1st. He's actually getting 5 million or 5.1 million this year and next year. So this is kind of like he's getting paid way more than his cap hit now. But if you buy him out, because um, buyouts are based on kind of how contracts are structured, it's very complicated. But they would actually like clear everything because he's at this point of this contract where he's getting way more money in cash than his cap hit represents. Um, but on the flip side, that makes them even harder to trade because if you think about, you know, all the players that I guess if you think of Arizona, you think of these floor teams, they'll take guys who have a high cap hit but get much lower money actually. Um, it helps them get to the floor in the cheapest way possible. Goodrow's the actual opposite of that right now. He's getting He's getting three point nine million against the cap, but in actual money, he's getting five, five point one, whatever it is, the next two years. So on one hand, it's a super good buyout short term, but on the other hand, it makes it like that much harder to trade him to a floor team now because of that structure. So it's kind of this weird double-edged sword. Um, if you look at how you get rid of Goodrow, whether it's buyout or trade, buyout is very favorable short term, at least. Uh, trade is kind of hard because it's like not only do you have to trade him, but you have to trade him to a team that's going to pay him way more than they get any cap credit for at all. Well, with uh, Ryan Johansson being traded, uh, does that help or hurt the possibility of, of someone like Goudreau getting traded? Because, I mean, obviously, like, you know, Goudreau, uh, Goudreau's contract has four more years left on it. Uh, Johansson only had two more years, but it's an $8 million hit. Obviously Nashville retained 50%. Um, would the, do you think that benefits the Rangers to retain any of his salary at all? And would that you think open up the door for more teams as opposed to just bottom dweller teams 
to try and get to the cap floor? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I actually kind of had the same thought when I heard it. I was like, what does that mean for Goodrow? Um, I think obviously Colorado is hoping to put Johansson in the top six and let his skill set kind of feed off those top six players. I don't know if anyone's going to trade for Goodrow and kind of think that way. He's definitely a bottom six, great penalty killer, been there before type of guy. And I don't know how that much that, that'll translate if you look at like, you know, what Colorado did. Um, so it, it's a it's a good question. I don't know the answer, but I, I think the answer is kind of like, or the question is kind of like, how much room is there in the league? This is, oh, what is it? This is like year four of the flat cap. Like how much room really is there for kind of this, fluffy uh take on a guy even if he's not worth it type type room um i'm not sure how much it translates honestly and that's the kind of the million dollar question it really is it's and it, it goes back to the trade itself it's you know can goodrill be moved uh without a sweetener like will, will the team pay for him or will jury have to pick something in um, i'm not quite sure uh we'll see but uh i'm not Sold on the idea that a team would definitely accept Goodrow as a salary cap as it is, and uh, it's it's kind of dicey because it's just what team is going to and and, and I should say the Rangers retaining on Goodrow kind of defeats the purpose of trading himself. They're, the idea is you get rid of Goodrow and you clear up as much cap space as possible for X, Y, and Z. If you retain half a Goodrow. You can do that, but like, how much can you actually replace him for? What would it be? Two million, one point nine, whatever it is. Yeah. So, uh, long story short, we'll see what the market does, but I, I'm not sure it, it definitely shows one way or the other, like what the market would be for the Rangers trying to offload Goodrow for cap purposes. How likely is that they move on from Goodrow, whether that's a buyout or a trade? And do they really have much of a choice? if they're going to want a more balanced roster? Yeah. I, you know, if the long story short, the Rangers really just don't have money. Anything they want to do this summer, they have to create it from somewhere. And if you look at the list, for whatever reason, Goodrow sticks out, sticks out because it's kind of like, that's kind of the place anyone would cut, no matter what you think of Goodrow. Um, I, if they do it, I think it would be trade or buyout. I'm kind of like, Kind of a skeptical about a buyout, but if they could trade him for something, and even if they have to add, even if they have to add a sweetener, granted they've really exhausted their draft picks over the next I don't know three years. I yeah. think you know if you look at Patrick Nemeth, they had to add, they had to attach two seconds. I think they have one second the next three years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so it's kind of peak everything. They've they've tapped their free agent money. They've tapped their kind of draft capital. Um, how that translates into whether Goodrow goes or not, I don't know. But he's certainly the number one guy that's like going to go as a cap casualty. Because who's number two? Who's number three? Is it, you know, you look at these big money players that have these no movement clauses, like they're not going anywhere. And then who's left? You know, Heedle, Lindgren, like Goodrow's kind of the poster boy for if the Rangers want to do something, however they do it, they're going to have to free up money. And Freeing up money, like, it's got to be good, Drew. I mean, I don't know how else they would do it meaningfully. And even he has a modified no-trade clause. 
He does. Yeah. He has a mo- yeah. So the modified no trade clause and these years, the next year three, this year and the next year, year four is when he get is when he's getting paid the most, which isn't exactly going to entice teams to get him. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, I think the overwhelming story is the Rangers kind of made their bed. I don't think they were kind of, pro, you know, Drury didn't exactly make this team in such a way that they can make sweeping changes this summer. Um, granted, you know, obviously he inherited a lot of decisions and contracts from Gordon, but, you know, this was supposed to be a summer where the Rangers were good and they were going to stay good. And when you start talking about cutting ties, creating cap space, moving, rel- you know, guys out that will will move the needle, uh, it's not really there. And I think Goodrow is kind of like the number one guy, but it's, it's even that it's not likely, or I shouldn't say it's not easy. So uh, that's kind of where the Rangers are this summer. You know, since we're talking about who the next person, uh, who the next, like, I guess, player up to be traded would be in the, you know, possibility to free some cap space. um, Why are some of the people, why are so many people, I'm sorry, thinking about trading one of the kids? Um, And I understand the idea because, because he'll just signed his $4 million contract uh, or his extension rather. Uh, which I believe the AAV is around four million, if I'm not uh, correct, or if I'm not mistaken on that. Um, why are people dead set on trading one of the kids, Heedle, Loff, and Kako, when they're all really on very manageable contracts, and they're not maybe producing as much as we all want, but they're all producing about 40 points. You know, they're 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 producing respect uh like respectable numbers in the NHL, not not superstar stuff, but they're they're there and they're not being complete albatrosses. Um, why are so many people thinking that trading one of them and then finding someone else to replace them is gonna actually help the cap? Yeah, so I think this is kind of this touches on a very kind of large idea. Um or, you know, a contest between kind of two thoughts. One is, all right, the letter went out five, going on five and a half years ago. You know, what have you got? And the other is kind of based on that, Laugh, Kako, Heedle, um, or, you know, Heedle's kind of unfair, but, you know, products of this rebuild, other than Fox, really aren't, like, breaking the door down. Um, and so it's almost like there's this idea of trade taco, trade laugh, uh, you know, almost as if like kind of admitting the rebuild didn't produce these door-breaking superstars. Uh, and I get that. I do. And there's a whole kind of sub-argument there where it's, well, they don't get power play time and they're sort of, they landed on this roster that kind of favors the vets, cause, you know. Hell of a time for last to get drafted when you have Saren and, and Kreider uh, ahead of you, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the math comes in where it's like, well, okay, if you trade Laugh, you trade Kako, where are you going to get these 40 points, 45, 50 points, whatever we can say they're going to get next year for that, for that amount of money? And that's a tough question. I mean, you know, especially for agency. For agency, you, you go to pay for things. And generally speaking, it's hard, you'll pay a lot. Uh, for a little whereas if you draft internally or you make a really good trade that's kind of the way you kind of get this bang for buck that's great so on one hand it's kind of this 
overall referendum on the rebuild where it's a little disappointing. We thought we'd have a superstar forward here, uh, X, Y, and Z. But on the other hand, it's, well, you can't really trade them to cathartically give up on them because you have so little cap space that if a guy like Kako is making 2.1 million, but getting you 40 points, probably more next year if he is a mainstay on the power play, frankly, uh, what are you replacing that with? What are you replacing that with? So it's almost like a cathartic, like a cathartic idea and a kind of a feeling of where the rebuild is, whereas where we thought we'd, it, we hoped it would be versus, you know, the pennies on the dollar where it's, you have to pay for this somehow. And if you want to get rid of these two guys that don't make a lot of money that are probably going to score 40, 50 points, whatever next year, uh, you know, where do you kind of reconcile that? So in my mind, it's the salary cap kind of predominates all. So whatever you think of the rebuild, whatever you think of Kaka, whatever you think of laugh. Point is, if you want to replace a 40 point, 50 point scorer for a couple million, say, God bless you. Just show me who that is on the open market or, or the trade market for that matter. Yeah. Agreed. And while we're talking about the kids here, Lafreniere, obviously it's very easy to project what he's roughly going to make. But with Miller, it's just so hard, even though he has no arbitration rights. What do you think he's projected to make and the reasons behind it? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, of all the, like, of all the restricted free agents who don't have arbitration rights, I'm trying to think of a more fascinating case than Miller. It, it's, hard, it's hard for me to think of one. Maybe Stepan in like 2013, 10 years ago. But also, but though, it, it's all, um, I'm sorry for talking. I forgot to mention, also yeah. confused me, though, is... You'd expect Heedle, who had arbitration rights, to maybe have gotten a little more, a bit more, yet he got lower. And at that time, we thought it was a really good deal. And now Miller, who doesn't have arbitration rights, it, it's just such a weird case. No, yeah, no, you're right. It, I, I really think Miller is kind of one of the weirdest, not weirdest, but most unpredictable, let's say, uh, restricted free agents the Rangers have dealt with. It's one. If you have arbitration rights, and this is just kind of one-on-one, what you can do is the third or fourth day of free agency, you file for arbitration, and then the team is locked in, and you have to go in front of arbiter, you make your case, the team makes their case, and there's a ruling, and the team can walk away from it or not, depending on kind of how much it is. Um, but when players don't have arbitration rights, uh, it's almost like, you know, it, it's almost like a game of chicken historically. Um, and that's both Lafreniere and Miller. They don't have arbitration rights. There's no line in the sand. There's no deadline. Uh, so I, I think, you know, as you said, I think Lafreniere is kind of in that hedel Kako range where it's, if you're trying to think of what's he going to get on a bridge deal, um, Kako got 2.1, Hedl got ooh, 2.3, was it? I can't remember. I, I was, I was going to say 2.3. I think you're right. I'm not, I'm yeah. not, yeah, so it was something in that so, range. Yeah, something like that, and you can say, okay, you know, he scored a lot of youth strength goals his second year, but he really plateaued this year by all counts. Put him in that range. Fine. Miller is very interesting. Um, obviously, he scored a ton of points, um, but you know, you can also look back, and I think it was Tony D'Angelo. In, gosh, when did his ELC end? Twenty twenty one. He was on a forty point pace. He did score forty. I think it was like thirty points in sixty games or something like that. And he ended up settling for $1 million on a one-year deal. Um, 
and I, I brought up Stepan earlier. Like Stepan had this huge, I think it was 20, gosh, this is a while ago. But anyways, um, these guys are the guys that can bleed into training camp. This is the type of stuff where you have players hold out and don't attend training camp until they have a contract. I think Miller is definitely a threat for that. Um, what he gets is, you know, it's all, it's a game of chicken. Who blinks first? Um, evolving hockey has a, a salary cap or a salary model for what what, the, what they project for free agents. I think they have him at about four million on a bridge deal. Personally, I think it's a little bit high. Um, I could be wrong, obviously, but I, I really think that if push comes to shove, the Rangers can get Miller for like three and a half ish, give or take three and a half, three point three point seven five. Um, but it, 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 it's very much a case based on, as of right now, how little cap space they have. I mean, they could do stuff this next week to make room and things will change. But as of right now, I could absolutely see Miller being a case where, hey, we don't have the money to give you long term. We got to bridge you. And he says, well, I scored X amount of points this year. Like, I know what's up. And it goes in training camp uh, three and a half, three point seven five on a one or two year bridge deal. That's kind of where my instinct is. Um, but it, again, it, it, it's a really, I wouldn't be surprised if it's different than that. It, it, it's just a really uh, elastic case, I think is the word. Yeah. Um, you know, last week's episode that we did, uh, we all kind of uh, chose three kind of under the radar bargain bin free agents that could possibly you know they're not going to light up the world but in a in a similar vc type player situation um is there anyone out there that you really really like as a hey let's take a flyer on this guy uh maybe even like a you know training camp tryout type uh type guy um where you think that he could actually have a uh, pay pay big dividends. I think down the line, um, kind of in the way that VC did last year. Maybe maybe not like big dividends isn't necessarily the right term, but you know someone who could actually have an impact on the team. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, like personally, kind of my my vibe right now is I'm I'm not even like really I've looked at the free agents, but I'm not like looking at them hard. I'm kind of like, well, if the Rangers do something this week, okay, then I'll look because then we'll have you know chips to spend. Um. I, it really might be a case of who gets left out. It might not even be like pick your favorite. It might be just be like, well, who gets left out of that kind of initial July boom. And every year, as we know, with hockey fans, there's guys in late July who kind of missed out on that boom and are still unrestricted free agents. And like, um, you know, you can, you can add Tyler Mott to that list. Um, you know, guys that kind of missed their chance and now they're, they're looking for a one year, $1 million deal in late July, early August. It's almost like the rain, you know, beggars can't be choosers. It's not, I'm, I'm like not even choosing guys. I'm like, well, let's see what the market spits out and maybe we'll go from there. Um, so that's kind of my philosophy because right now, I mean, even signing a guy to like one and a half million, that's like, that's almost like beyond the pale for what the Rangers have stacked up right now. So if it changes, if they trade Goodrow or buy out Goodrow or do something else to clear cap space, okay, then I'll get, maybe a little more serious about what we have. I don't really have names for you. Um, it, it, I think it's really, it's really going to be like what the market spits out at us late in July. If the Rangers don't move a lot of salary, 
but I, th- I think I'm sorry. Um, uh, no, 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 I think on the sorry, flip side, finish. though, yeah, I think on the flip side, though, it, it also kind of provides a chance for um, anyone internal to make a jump. Like if you if you think about like Brett Berard, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, like, you, like again, I'm assuming the Rangers don't make a move. I mean, they very well could, but I, I'm not going to assume that until it happens. That's kind of where I'm at. But you could have the Rangers with like ten guys uh, fighting for four spots, as opposed to the usual where it's like, oh, there's four guys fighting fighting for two spots. Um, so it, there's almost this like open field where it's a whoever doesn't get a paycheck in early July, like throw them on the list. Who knows what that will be? And B, it's like, oh my gosh, if you're a Ranger on their on your entry level contract. Like this is your this is your training camp to like show up, so that's kind of where I'm at. I don't, you know, you can talk about different free agents. Um, Mott is an interesting case. How much will he get this summer? I don't know, but if it's lowly, like it's been, uh, that's an interesting idea. But you know, it, it's it's almost like, you know, even signing a guy to a million dollars, like that's still like, mm, how are you gonna, you know, how are you gonna pay for, you know, you're really they are really strapped. So I don't even have the luxury of looking at the free agent list and being like, yeah, that guy or that guy. So if it's Mott, then it would probably have to be in the 1 million. And if he wants more, it's probably not going to happen. Unless obviously they make another move. Yeah. You know, again, if they clear off Goodrow, however, or if they clear out someone, I mean, you know, who the hell knows? They could trade Keandre Miller and liquidate, you know, who the hell knows? And then that's three or four million or whatever in spending money. You know, not to say these are, I'm not even going to comment on whether it's good or bad. It's just logistically, if you can get some money to play with, it'll become interesting. But until that happens, it's kind of like whoever's going to, whoever you can get for less than a million, like pick your poison. Uh, But it's, it's rough out there as of right now. Do you think Connor Brown is an unrealistic want or because of his ACL injury, the price might be low enough for the Rangers to snag him up? So everything I just said, there is kind of an interesting loophole here. And the idea is the Rangers are really strapped. Like if you're going to sign someone, it's got to be like 800,000, 900,000, that type of thing. Again, I'm assuming no one gets moved. If Goodyear gets moved, it changes. Blah, blah, blah. The interesting thing is if you can sign someone to performance bonuses, that kind of opens a new dimension. And by that, I mean, if you sign someone to $800,000 as base pay and you attach performance bonuses and that player hits those performance bonuses, that doesn't kick in until next year. And next year, God willing, the salary cap will actually return to normalcy. It'll be, they're, they're talking about it going up four or 5 million next year. So, there's kind of this idea of, well, if you can get someone for performance bonuses, you might not have to create cap space to sign someone for more than a million. And Connor Brown fits that description in a very unique way. There's a rule where, oh, the, the specifics are, I, I believe it's, if you, if you have 400 games under your belt and in the last season you missed at least 100 games on IR, might be more than that, but at least 100 games on IR. You actually, and you're a free agent. You can sign for performance bonuses. Um, the rule generally is for players over 35 years old. So maybe actually, actually returning to your question, you know, someone like Corey Perry, 
a right winger. The you know the Rangers are in looking for a right winger. If he if if they were to sign him, they could do it. Where it's okay, Corey, we'll give you 800k base pay, but we'll give you X amount of performance bonuses. Um, they can do the same with Connor Brown, even though he's not 35 years old, based on his injury exception. Um, so that might be a sneaky way for the Rangers to kind of go above their means this free agency without having to actually clear any cap space. They'll kick it the next year. But again, if the cap goes up four or five million next year, it might be worth it because it's, hey, that's a less percentage of dead cap space than this year or the last three years. Uh, so those are the guys you'd look for. And you could throw Patrick Hanna on that list for that matter. I mean, obviously he's going to be hurt to start the season, but if you wanted to do Kane, people are talking about LTIR. And it's like, if you want to do Kane, you sign him to an $800,000 deal and you give him X million in performance bonuses. Uh, that's how you do it. I, I don't believe for a second that you sign Kane and then he doesn't come back to the playoffs. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Even if, even as crazy as LTR is in this league, that's not going to happen. Yeah, because he's he's supposed to be back around like December, January, the latest, right? Yeah, yeah. Based yeah. off of his timeline, at least as of right now, there could be a setback potentially. But you know, as of right now, that's what I heard, at least. Yeah, that's that's what I'm going off of, and it's like you know, I I, you know, I really feel like uh, you know, there's this this will be a sidebar, but. You know, what happened with the league was people started, when the salary cap came in, they started signing people till they were 40 or 42 or 44 just to kind of lower the cap hit, divide it by the most amount of years. And the league stepped in, notably with, with the Devils, and they said, uh, hey, you can't sign Kovalchuk. And they actually fined him. And uh, they, uh, they kind of came down on it. LTR, like, it's like there's all this, like, messed up stuff going up, but you can't really enforce it at the time. Like what's the team going to do? So, you know, let's say the Rangers LTIR came and he's, he's supposed to come back in December, but they say, Oh no, he can't come back till April. Uh, and then league, what, what are the league doctors going to do? Come in in January and say, no, he's healthy. And then <laughs> the league is going to enforce it and be like, yeah, you have to dump 10 million in, in salary overnight. Like, so it's, just, it's this weird bubble that I think is going to burst at some point, but it's a lot more hard to burst than like the old, you know, cap it cheat codes of the old CBA because you can't really enforce it then. Like, what is the league going to do? And like preemptively come in and say, so if you're going to LTR Kane, you know, you, you have to free up salary and gen, you know, it's this weird thing where like you can only push it so far before the league's going to come down, but it's harder, harder to enforce. So anyway, that's a random sidebar. I, I, I think Kane LTIR, you'll see, uh, you'll see people talking about it. I'm very, very skeptical about that. If they do Kane, what they'll do is they'll sign him to a one-year deal, $800,000 base pay, X million in performance bonuses, and they'll go with that. Like, I, I don't see LTR getting stretched that much. I like that, though. I like the Connor Brown thing, too. I didn't know that about the uh, being injured and stuff. That That's really cool. Um, you know, do you do – you, first question, do you follow football at all as well? <laughs> There's there is a point uh, to this that I'm getting at, but that, that there's yes, that's my first question. Uh, I'm scared of this of the next question. I'm like a super casual fan, like I'll watch, but I don't. Um, I couldn't tell you anything about positions or anything. No, no, that that I was just that was I just wanted to get like a baseline because the NFL there's been a really really interesting 
trend, I guess, in the past, like, I mean, I guess now it's been going on for like about 20 years where the running back position, uh, the value has really been diminishing um, where like the top running backs are really, they're just not worth spending huge amounts of money on anymore. Um, and obviously, like, you know, there, there's an injury thing with, with running backs, you're getting hit so much more, uh, X amount of time, obviously like the first contract is a huge thing and football is a very, very different sport. But my real question is kind of to switch it back to hockey. How important are goalies and is a goalie worth $10 million? Um, now I'm not, I, I proposed a question earlier in the, in the summer, uh, about Igor and, and what his value truly is because like we're seeing Aiden Hill win a cup. We've seen Darcy Kemper win a cup, uh, you know, and obviously, and then you go back four years and we've seen Vasilevsky win two cups. So like, it's literally 50, 50. If you go back the last four years of, you know, stop gap goalies and then franchise goalies. So is a goalie really truly worth $10 million? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've looked at, the, the teams that win cups and I've kind of, I tried to come up with a formula, if you will. And I failed miserably because it's teams are so different based on how they do. And I think a lot of it is kind of, there's a lot of luck involved in playoffs. Um, you can think of goalies getting hot <laughs> and it's just, that's it. Um, no, it, you can quantify it, but generally speaking, like super generally teams that win cups will beat you down the middle they'll beat you with their skaters um you know add to that list you could add anti-ranta not anti-ranta i'm sorry who won with chicago uh Miami. Miami. Miami, yeah. i'm thinking yeah um cam ward you know cam ward like got super hot his year and obviously his career didn't trend that way especially in the playoffs matt murray um yeah uh, yeah you can so generally speaking teams that win cups tend to be dominant like as far as skaters are concerned um you know it's kind of a funny anecdote it's like you know Hashik won the cup finally with Detroit but he was horrible uh or he was horrible in his last one not the first one yeah uh but you know it, it, it's just funny it, generally speaking there will be teams that absolutely rely on goaltending you can think of Tim Thomas with the Bruins um he had he had to be out of this world to do what they did but then teams can also win with uh goaltending that is less than worldly so it really depends uh on what your team is where you're getting your i guess wins from quote unquote or you know your strength from um it's a mixed bag uh goalies can obviously cover up things but if you don't have the goods down the middle uh it's generally very hard to win cups Got it. Is that a, is that a good? Uh, uh, no, it's uh, it's 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 literally it's such a hard thing to quantify. It's like, you know, it's 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 the equivalent of like pitching in baseball. Obviously, in the postseason, it's just like, like, you know, there's there's so many pitchers who have phenomenal like you know outworldly otherworldly like stats during the regular season, and then they get to the postseason, and it's just like, well, you know, we're just average. And you kind of need like, and I've heard Don LaGreca kind of say it a lot. He's like, you don't need your, you don't need a great goalie. You need a, you need your goalie to play great. And that's kind of 
like the way he's kind of said it. And I'm like, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's just, um, cause I mean, like seeing Aiden Hill win a cup and then like, you see all the teams that like, obviously like we know the teams that Lundquist backstopped were not good enough, but it's just like Aiden Hill won a cup and Lundquist is like the obviously first ballot hall of famer now officially. Uh, it's just, it's just crazy to think that like they could never get over that hump, but it's just, you're right. It really just, it comes down to quite literally down the middle. And that's been the weakness for the Rangers for, I don't know, ever. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I, you know, I gotta say it's, it's really rich, uh, especially with like hockey hall of fame discussions, because it'll be like, it'll be like, Oh, Rangers are I'm sorry. It'll be like hockey is like the most team sport ever you know but then like Hall of Fame comes and it's like oh did he ever win a cup and it's like it's either a team sport or it isn't you know it's yeah, either, you know ways. and that's yeah that's the great part about hockey it's like if you're a skater like even if you're the best player in the world you're playing what a third maybe uh two-fifths of your team games in that playoff like it's a team effort and whether it's constituted to a goalie has to save your ass or whether it's constituted where you're going to score five goals every hour and it doesn't matter if my grandma's in that, you're going to probably win. You know, it, it, it's such a sliding scale. And coupled with that, you know, playoffs really are a crapshoot. I mean, that's really what it is. I, you'll have teams that you have to settle teams in seven games that are like razor close. And it's like, you know, you simulate that a hundred times and it's one team will win 51 times, one team will win 49 times. But however that seven goes, that's the quote unquote better team. And, you know, really, if you, this is really where you get the math stuff, like variance, you get into, uh, you know, standard deviation where it's, you know, if you really want to know who the best team is, play them a hundred times and then you'll figure it out or a thousand times. Uh, but it's seven times at most. So there is absolutely a streak of luck. Who gets, you know, who's more healthy? Who who isn't hurt? Um, mm-hmm. That has way more to do than anything the previous eighty-two games have to say. So, it, it, it's such a it's such a vast expanse of what's going on, where where your strength is, how you're doing in the short term. It's really hard to say. Okay, no team should pay a goalie more than X amount. It's it's so much more fluid and soupy than that. Yeah, uh, at least that's what the data shows. Well, the, one of the reasons why I said the $10 million benchmark was mainly because Eichel was Eichel's the first player ever, I believe, right, to win the cup with a uh, cap hit over $10 million. Yeah, I think I heard that. Um, although, like, if you really want to get nerdy like me, you can look at, like, 2006 when, like, oh, gosh, someone making, you know, $5 million or cap, whatever. Uh, the yeah, cap, right? the percentage of the cap is this. Yeah, so it, it really is kind of like, I think that's much more uh, – uh, I think it's kind of more of a, what's the word, trendy or anecdotal, yeah. you know, hit. Um, it, it really does, it, it's very hard to come up with like a particular formula for, okay, do this and you'll win the cup. Because like, there are, I mean, I, you know, I, I looked at this very deeply um, my senior year of school and I was trying to kind of evaluate like what makes it, you know, and there are teams that, they buy all their defensemen and there are teams that they home grow all their defensemen. And it's, you know, there are teams that have a goalie that is replacement level and there are teams that have a goalie that was absolutely excellent. So it, it's as, as much as like, we, I think we kind of look for that, like, okay, what's the recipe? 
Um, I think it's just way more like it's just too fluid to encapsulate into one thing or the other. If if you spend, if you have a, if you have a guy that's worth 5 million and you're paying him 800,000, you can overpay guys left and right. And that, that value will remain, you know what I'm saying? And the other way around. So it's, it's a, it's a hard question to answer. It's, it's really, you have to look at the whole team and you have to look at who's doing what, how much do they cost? And more importantly, like, are they hot? Are they healthy? Uh, when playoffs come around. Yeah. And going back to the Hank Hall fame, it's like, do you like expect him to score the goals too? Like, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, what? why not? That's on him. Yeah. I love that. Like Mets game where like the Mets won one, nothing. And like the Gromit all solo home run. Like that, that was like the whole Hank legacy. Like, <laughs> In a nutshell, whatever whatever game that was, I just remember thinking like I know yeah, I know okay. exactly what you're talking about. He it was yeah. It, there's and there's plenty of games where Degrom and I'm not even a Met fan, but I like you know you could recognize his greatness when he was there. Like, uh, like it was like I I don't know if he pitched like six or seven innings and like X amount of strikeouts and like they lost one nothing and it was like what else do you want the guy to do? You know, it's 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 just at a certain point like. It's it, the the argument like that I I I was watching NHL Network this week when uh, I think it was on Wednesday when they announced the Hall of Fame and I can't remember who it was it was I think it was uh, the guy opposite Craig Button said it's like yeah but he's never won a cup it's like that is the dumbest argument ever like for any pro sport that has you know more, it's like it's like if yeah if you, if you want to talk about tennis or golf where it's an individual sport by all means go for it. When there's that many people on one team, like it is the dumbest argument ever. And I just, it really drives me insane. Oh, I'm already there with you. Um, one thing that I always like, especially hated, as long as we're airing grievances, right? Oh, is yeah. like, I believe, I believe Hank had a sub 500 record in the playoffs, I believe. And people would like point to that, some ex NHL like broadcasters, as a matter of fact. And it's like, bro, if your team deserves to finish 10th and you drag them to eighth, and then you get blown out in five games, you don't look at that and say, oh, see, he's one and three or one and four. No, bro. Like the fact that it even got there is like him. Like you have, you have to look above the, you know, a math guy right here, math guy. You have to look above the numbers sometimes. Like it's, it's, it's funny how people who don't dabble in like math as nerdy as I do will kind of cling on to numbers and be like, see, but like real mathematicians will kind of look at numbers and then like, like hmm, what do other numbers say? And like, there's this weird bias where it's like, Oh, stop looking at the numbers. And it's like, I'm not looking at any particular set of numbers. I'm looking at multiple sets of numbers and how they look at each other. And like, maybe I'll draw my opinion from that. But if you're looking at like one stat to like do everything, you know, the other thing is like Hank only won one resume and it's like, yeah, but he was like top five, like seven of his first 10 years. Like that, that doesn't grow on trees. And even if it did, that's the opinion of general managers. And like, you can imagine how great general manager, general managers are at evaluating goaltending. Like, you know, it's just insane to me that anyone would look at Lundquist and be like, yeah, no, not a hall of famer. You know, it's just like, what else do you want? What, uh, what, what else, what else on trees where you're from? That's a really good question too. It's like, what else could he have done? What? Uh, yeah, I know we said uh, 
I know you just said that don't, you know, evaluate based off one individual stat, but just something I did want to mention that in the eight games uh, Lundqvist played in the game seven, the Rangers only scored more than two goals once. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I, I have like a whole Hank, like, I don't have it in front of me now, but there's like something where it's like, if the Rangers just simply scored three goals a game, like <laughs> Lundqvist would be sitting pretty right now. Put it that way. Like, like all, like if you look at his whole playoff body, it's like, why couldn't the Rangers just score a goal period? I mean, it would just be crisp as hell if they did, but of course yeah. they didn't. And he, and he held them as, as best as he could. You know, people talk about Hank Chanky, uh, choking in the LA series and it's like, yeah, he was um, it's absolutely insane for the third period and overtime in that series. Um, his team was outshot 2-1 to one or something like that, and he still put up a 930 or whatever it was. And it's just like, I don't know, it's the most lazy analysis possible. You know, as long as we're talking Hank, it's the most lazy analysis possible to like just point to one number at one time. You know, you have to look at all of them over all the times. And it, if, if Hank got goal support in any of his playoffs, like during his prime, uh, we'd be having a very different conversation right now. And that's like you said, and like you said earlier, it's like, you know, give me a 30 goal scoring center, please, please. And they didn't. And that was Hank's entire career. So there you go. Yep. You only had one, right? Zibanejad with, which was, you know, back now in his career. career. Yeah. Zibanejad, like his last year was a team when he was 37 or 38 or whatever. And that's it. So there you go. Going back to current Rangers here, do you think that the Rangers might not have a choice but to play Offman in the NHL rather than the AHL if he's not ready because they can't afford anyone else to play that role? Yeah, no, I think that's going to be kind of like the one of the big, you know, big questions for the training camp is kind of where's Offman going to land? Again, as of right now, I. I will react to it when it happens as far as Goodrow or anyone else, lingering Heedle, any buyouts, any trades to make cap space. That'll change things. But as of right now, what I think is Rangers are going to have a lot of borderline fringe AHL, NHL type guys that could go either way. And then they're going to have guys like Cooley, like Offman, like Berard, who are going to make a case for training camp. And you're going to have, I don't know, three, four guys, or three, four spots with like six, seven, eight guys competing for it. So I guess the answer to your question is, I think training camp is going to be the uh, decider in this. Um, because as of right now, I mean, Offman, high ceiling, low cap hit. What else can the Rangers ask for right now? What What better could they buy on the open market? Probably not anything. So we'll see um, whether there's pressure for him to go up prematurely. We'll see. But, um, you know, if I'm Drury, I'm making camp like this huge bucket of guys all all competing for, you know, 800000 or whatever it is. I think Austin makes 870 or 860 um, That's really right in the wheelhouse of what the Rangers can give guys. Again, right now, if they change – if they clear up salary in some way, that's a new discussion. But uh, often, it, it's in Austin's favor right now. I mean, what else can the Rangers buy that's better than him? 
when is the last time we had this boring of an offseason, right? Because our theoretical depth players, I mean, we're excited if we could get Connor Brown, right? There's no like big player to get. Yeah, no, this is definitely like kind of, again, for the millionth time, like if it, if something happens, uh, it'll be more interesting. If they clear up more space to do more things, that'll be interesting. But yeah, no, as of right now, it's kind of like, I'm, ex- I'm expecting them to kind of trim around the edges. Um, I can't imagine they're going to do anything that's going to like blow up their core. Like even if they wanted to, they couldn't just based on how they've kind of set up their contract. So yeah, this is probably, I mean, even if they trade Goodrow though, like, what are you going to do? Find like two bottom six guys for two million a pop? Like that's going to be the big move, you know. So this the stage is set for this to be a very boring Rangers off season, um, as far as we can tell, uh, unless they do something crazy. And I mean, something they buy, you know, buying out Trouba or something like that, like something totally unexpected. But otherwise, they've made their bed and they have to sit in it. And uh, yeah, I can't remember the last Rangers off season where it was like this, like. Yeah, nothing's going to happen. All right, Mika, uh, thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, before we go, you want to, everyone obviously knows who you are, but you want to punch in what you're working on or anything like that? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Hockey Stat Miner. Uh, I'm writing for Blue Shirt Banter right now. Uh, and yeah, no, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I love talking Rangers. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And obviously, like, you know, as I said before, thanks for, you know, kind of laying out all the numbers for for the non-number folk out there like me. Um, but, yeah, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure, folks. Thanks a lot.